Let us again rise from our seats for our scripture reading. Our scripture reading today comes from Luke chapter 5, verses 11 through, uh, 1 through 11. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of uh, Gennesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake. But the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, son of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. This is the word of the Lord. And all God's people said, thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Now, Ben will deliver God's message to us today. Good afternoon, everybody. Good afternoon. Can we say good afternoon to the person left and right? Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Snow's coming. Oh, my. Snow's coming. I think it's uh, snowing right now, maybe. And so uh, this is going to be the longest sermon so that we can uh, just have a snow day here. I kid. Let me pray for us. Lord, we thank you for being here with us. And God, as we look at this passage, Lord, we pray that you would speak to us primarily. And God, that I would be a messenger and deliverer of your word. Lord, may I be forgotten and may God be remembered through and through. Lord, may grace be upon grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Back when I was in college, uh, we would play this game when we were at church. And we would play like Desert Island where you would choose three other people that you would uh, really select to survive on that deserted island. And so just think about it yourselves in your circle of friends. Who would be the three that you pick so that you would guarantee hopefully a survival of your group as you're stranded in that island? Uh, for us, you know, usually it would be like, oh, person A because they're really strong and, you know, they, they can lift up coconut trees or whatever. And then person B, the person who knows how to camp, they know how to, uh, like, forage berries and they know how to make tents and all these things. And the person C, usually in the game, where it would be our crush, the person we have a crush on, but we don't want to share with people, but we want to spend time with them. And so it would be like person C because they can like knit clothes or they can like dig a hole and we would just make that all up. But anyway, the point is, is usually when we think of a team and we think about people who we would select, especially in a scenario like that, we would want to pick the per people who are most capable. We would want to pick people who are eligible, people who are dependable, people who can, I can really use so that I can survive and that I can really, uh, really s see this through. 
Well, let's see the people that Jesus picks in his ministry. And as he builds up his kingdom, there is a particular group of people that Jesus calls. And there are those who respond to him in his call. And we're going to look at that today. To those who called, who received the call of Jesus and those who responded. And we're going to see what quality or what is it that brought people to the feet of Jesus and wanted to follow Jesus and leave their life behind. I want to set the scene for us before we start talking about some of these things. At this point, Jesus was extremely popular. He was very popular. People were all wanting to see who this man Jesus was. He was healing people. He was teaching things. He was exercising people from their demons. He taught the word of God so differently that it was captivating people's attention. He was certainly a celebrity at that time. And there were crowds of people wanting to see and experience and hear and even receive the spiritual power. They wanted healing. They wanted to be freed from these things. They wanted release from these illnesses and from demons. So they followed him. And so here we are at the start of chapter 5. And here people are following him. And Jesus was at a lake and he saw two boats. And these, those two boats had already finished, they already finished fishing. You could see that they were already washing their nets. And typically, the best time to fish in terms of, I don't, I'm not a fisher. I don't know, maybe your dad's really like fishing. But what times do your fathers go fishing? Or what time is the best time to go fishing? Nighttime. Nighttime. Something about the water and the fish and the nights, they all come up to the surface. I don't get it. But anyway, it is the best time is to fish at the nighttime. But what we see here in this passage is that they came back already finished finish, uh, fishing and this was, uh, they came back empty. And this was very discouraging for them because this is, they're fishermen. They didn't go for leisure. This was their actual occupation. Fish, more, the more fish meant more income, meant more money, meant for their survival. And so just imagine that one day of business where you literally make no money. That was this day for them. They had nothing. They came back empty-handed. And so you could just imagine they're very exhausted. They're washing these nets and they're scrubbing these nets in order to prepare for the next day. But they're worried. They're thinking about the next day. Can we catch fish? Can we catch fish? So imagine this scene. <clears throat> People are scrubbing their nets. They're, the fishermen, they're scrubbing their nets. They're very discouraged. Um, they're, they're already cl cleaning up for the day. And then Peter, we see, looks up and he gets to see Jesus uh, walking towards him. And there's a whole bunch of people following him. And here he is. And Peter probably already knows who Peter is, uh, uh, who Jesus is. Oh, here's, there's that carpenter. There's that carpenter who's been, um, people, everyone's been talking about. There's that carpenter. Actually, I've seen him do amazing things. And here he is uh, as he's walking towards me. And he begins to, it's really I love when Jesus, there's like these awkward moments of Jesus. I think I make it awkward, but Jesus just walks on his boat. He doesn't just talk with him. He just walks on uh, his boat and just walks uh, very intrusively, if I, if I could say that. And he ends up on Jesus, uh, Peter's boat. And he tells Peter, hey, let the boat out a little bit. And so Peter, he just says, okay, all right, I'll just do that. And so the boat goes out for a little bit. And the reason why is because Jesus then begins to teach. And as he's there, just imagine the scene, like the dock is filled with people, his, the, his, his, his followers, and there Jesus is on this boat, and Peter's probably just kind of there sitting there and looking at him, and be, Jesus is teaching, teaching and teaching. And as he finishes his teaching, um, Peter is probably like floored, and he, he's just like, what is going on with this guy? I don't, he's teaching all these crazy things, and man, who is this man? And all of a sudden, when Jesus finishes his teaching, he looks, turns around to Jesus and says, throw your net. Throw your net 
And obviously he's implying you're going to catch fish. And for Peter, as a fisherman, he knows, first of all, you're a carpenter. How, why would I catch fish? I know the best time to catch fish, which is the nighttime, where we literally came back not, with nothing. Why would I even catch fish on the worst time of day? And first of all, we're next to the shore where there's people. So this is the worst place to catch fish. But I'll do it because you have said so. Maybe because he was trying to prove Jesus wrong. I don't know. Maybe he was curious, but he did it. He threw his net down the lake and into the water, into the deep. And the most amazing thing happens. The net is filled with fish. And not only is it filled with fish, it's filled to the point where the net begins to break. That's a lot of fish at that point because that rope of that net is supposed to be incredibly strong. But the fact that this rope was breaking means that Peter never, ever caught this much amount of fish ever before. This was his biggest catch ever. So much to the fact that he needed other people to come and help him. Dude, come help me. My boat is about to sink. And so another boat came, and they started putting all the fish and dividing it. And even the boats, two boats began to sink. 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 They both began to sink. And this is where we get to see Peter's response. He falls down at the feet of Jesus, and he says to him, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man. And this is where we want to pause. Because why would he say that? You know, if anything, if you were like me, or if you were like just a regular person, this is your luckiest day in your life, isn't it? You got all the money you've been wanting. This guy has given and blessed you beyond all measure. It's kind of like this, like you have a big exam tomorrow and like you hear Jesus like, just sleep. Just sleep, don't study. I got you. And you go next day, all of a sudden, there you are, you're right at your exam and you're like, okay, Jesus. And then there's like, you begin to see like all the answers like in your like, just in your periphery, like in your vision and you start writing things down. It's kind of like that, like, oh my goodness, you have to grab onto him. Like, this guy knows how to do everything. This guy is extremely powerful. We need to use this guy in order to bless my life, in order to bless my business, in order to basically fulfill all the desires of my life. And so that would be a more appropriate response from Peter, wouldn't it be? Thank you for coming. Thank you for, for giving me all this fish. But yet we get to see a different response. Peter instead says, leave. Leave. I don't deserve you. Peter, you need, oh, Jesus, you need to leave. Why? Because what Peter realizes is not the first response is, oh my gosh, this guy can do everything. Or what Peter's really, where his heart is coming from is, oh my goodness, this guy can do everything. You see, this is what he realizes. Just imagine and do this exercise with me. Imagine we cleared this entire room up, okay? Clear all the chairs up. And on the, I say, okay, everybody on the right side, we're going to put everybody on the right side, those who are the most holy of people, uh, those people where you think you know, like they're definitely going to go to heaven, right? And so, you know, you're next to me and I tell you to divide the room. And we're going to put all the holy people on this side, and then we're going to put the unholy people on this side, right? The holy people are like the Kwanzaanins, right? They, they just like pray, like chuyo, chuyo, chuyo. They're like the, the fervent prayers, right? They're the ones who like, you know, you know what I'm talking about? Like they pray like this, right back and forth. You know what I'm talking about? Those kinds of people. Oh, we definitely put those people on that side. 
And then who do you put on the other side? Well, obviously, I'm not going to name names because that's not the point. But there are people that we think in our lives, we're going to definitely put these people, those people who are the most unholy, those people who definitely are not going to go to heaven, we're going to put them here on that side. And then everyone, we're going to put them in between the spectrum of the most holy to the, less, to the least holy, to the unholy, to those who are far from God's salvation. And then the question for us, where would you place yourself? If, I were to, if we were to ever do that exercise, where would you be in that room? Where would you stand? Here is what Peter understood. If Peter, we were to do that exercise with Peter, this is where Peter would place himself, at the far end. Peter realized that he is not part of the holy group. He was part of the unholy group. Peter realized something deeply within his soul, that he was in the presence of God himself. This was not good news. This was utter bad news. And that's why he was deeply afraid. Because what he realized is God is holy and I am not. He understood that God came and now his wrath is here to come. That I've been trying to live my life worthy of his name, worthy of his call, worthy of him, and I failed miserably. I can't believe he's here right now. Jesus, you need to leave my presence because I do not want to address this right now. I, I, I can't do this right now. But look at what Jesus says to him. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. And it's so significant why he says that. Do not be afraid. This is what he's saying to Peter. And he's saying to, to, to us, you know, Peter, you know, our, our, each and every one of you, I understand. You probably had an idea of what it meant to be holy and acceptable to God. When you look at the people who are the most holy, you thought, I need to be that person. I need to live my life that way. I need to live my life as holy as a pastor does or as a kwanzanim does or as an elder does. I need to do all these things. I need to pray every day. I need to read the Bible every day. I need to fast. You know, you go to retreat and you, you make this commitment to God. God, I'm going to really start taking my faith more seriously in you. I'm going to really believe in you. New Year's resolution comes. I'm going to read the Bible every day. I'm going to pray every day. I'm going to do my best, God. And every time we make these promises, what happens? If you're old enough, you know what happens. You fail. And as you fail, you get to get, you get, you fall into misery. Like, why can't I change? Why can't I do these things? Why I want to be this thing? And, you know, those sins that we're constantly talking about every year, every year. I want to turn away from this sin, God. I want to, I want to finally be, be over with this sin. But it constantly comes over and over and over again. And you're coming to realize, like, God, I am so, so, something is wrong with me. I'm not holy. I can't do things. I can't, and I'm so unacceptable to you. God, I deserve your wrath. God, I, I, I'm so far from you. And I, you know, when I think about that question, if I were to die, where would I be in heaven or in hell? I'm so afraid to ask that question because I have a feeling I know where I will be. I should be afraid. But this is what Jesus is saying. I want to tell you the good news. That's why I have come. That's why I am here. You don't need to live your life based on how well you're living. You know, when we ask that question, how are you doing in your faith? What is the thing that we think about immediately? 
Am I reading my Bible? Am I doing my QT? It's a list of do's that we've been trying to do all our history of the things that we are doing. What Jesus is saying is this. Stop doing that. Because the more you measure your life based on what you have done and how well you've done it, you will always fail. Always fail. And this is why I have come, because I am going to live the perfect life for you. And not just as an example. I'm not here to show you how to live your life. And you need to follow my life and live exactly the way that I do. Because what will happen is that it's going to crush you. You'll actually be a lot more disappointed. I'm not just a teacher who's giving you more things to do because it's also going to hurt you. What I am is a Messiah. Messiah. I am Lord. And what I am is I'm going to be you. I'm going to live the life that you are called to live. The standards that you have, this idea of holiness that you have, I'm going to live that life on your behalf as a substitute. And I'm going to live that life, and I'm going to earn everything from God. and I'm going to give it to you as a gift. So you need not be afraid anymore because I will experience the fear for you. I'm going to stand before God and receive that punishment that you deserve on your behalf. So don't be afraid. I will do it for you. I will take that for you. Do you hear this good news? Do you believe that I can do this? Do you believe that just as I have caught all this fish with my words, just as you have seen that I've healed people, things that blow your category, of experience, of understanding? Do you see that the things that I've been teaching, that if I can do these small things, that I can do this for your life? That's what he is inviting Peter and for us to hear, this good news. Do you trust that? And when you get to hear that, when you get to realize that this is more than just catching fish, that what Jesus was doing was that he was trying to catch Peter's heart and he was trying to show Peter, this is who I am. Yes, I can do everything, and I can do so much to the fact that I can save your life. Do you believe that? Do you believe that the Son of God can save your life? And that is really at the heart of what this passage is sharing. You know, one of the themes of Luke and the themes of this passage is those who think they are the most near are the most far, and those who are the most far are the most near. This is what is at the heart of Luke and really at the heart of Jesus' ministry. What does that mean? How many of you experience guilt or shame? All of us do. There's something about us when we look deeply inside our lives, there's something that we're deeply ashamed of. There's something that we feel totally guilty in. Maybe, and you know, one of the things that we want to do is, God, I want to get rid of my shame. I want to get rid of my guilt. I, I want to get rid of these things. I want to stop committing these same sins over and over again. But sometimes the reason why we want to get rid of shame or guilt is because we want to be more acceptable to God. If we have this idea, God, if I become more white, if I become whiter, like, like white as snow, God, maybe I'll be more acceptable to you. And maybe I'll feel better about myself and I'll have more confidence because now that I'm freed of these sins, God, I know and I'll be more assured that you will love me and that you'll accept me. But that's not the point. Maybe, and this is a really weird thing I'm going to say, maybe we are meant to feel shame. 
Maybe we're meant to feel guilt so that we would see Jesus and just be filled with joy because we get to realize that's why he came. And so our shame and our guilt, that it's actually meaning to drive us to Jesus and drive us to God, that those who feel we are the most unholy, now the good news becomes actually good news because we have to realize the solution, Jesus Christ, had come. And it now it just brings people of, into such joy. See, that's why Jesus came, to save the unclean, to those who consider themselves the most, most unholy of people. That's why Jesus came. That's why. Now, there are those of us who see ourselves in the other spectrum. You know, I'm, in fact, I am holy. In fact, I've been living my life I've deserved God's love. I've been living this Christian life. I've been doing these Christian things. I've been coming out to church every Sunday. I come out to church even though where there's a snowstorm coming. I'm part of a Christian family heritage. My fifth generation ancestors were Christian. They were the beginning Christians when Korea first started Christianity. And on and on and goes. List of the things we cling to that gives us assurance and, assur- and confidence that we are on the good side of God. I've been doing good things. I have good thoughts. I try to live my life well. I, I, I just, I, I live my life trying to please God. And so I'm must truly be on the good side of God. And I want to say that you are the most far away from God. Why? Because you don't need God. Here's the first person that Jesus calls, the first thing that Jesus looks for. It's humble people. You know, so it's the person who is confident about their confident about their spirituality confident about themselves they're not humble they're not humble at all it's kind of like this guys if you look at this illustration a proud person if you look at my hands they're always clinging on to something they're holding on to something i'm holding on to uh some something that gives me my worth and my identity like my good grades or the way that i live my life that i'm not like those people i don't live like that i don't i don't do the bad things and we look at other people in our lives and we see, realize, oh, we're actually pretty okay. We're not that bad. And we cling on to whatever that is. Oh, I, I have a certain political view. I, I, I know what to believe in and I know what, how to say the right things. And I have these things and we cling on to it. And so here we are. This is how we view Christianity. That the more you cling on to these things, because then when you come to God, you say, look, God, look, 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 look at what I've been doing. Look at what I have. This is what I've been doing for you. And God is saying, those things are worthless to me. But what the humble person does, the person who's on the other side says this, I have nothing. I have absolutely nothing. You see, for the person who's clinging on to these things, thinking that they're, it's good, this is why they're worthy, this is why they're valuable, this is why they deserve God's love, when God's love comes their way, Their hands are already tight, gripping onto their thing. And so when God's love comes, they can't let go. They can't receive the love of God. They can't receive the gospel. They can't receive that grace. And so here the gospel comes and they don't receive it. For those who have their hands open like this, when the gospel comes, you receive it because you have absolutely, utterly nothing. Those who are the most far those who are on the other side who realize I am the most unholy of people, God's grace comes right into your hands and it becomes very beautiful. Beautiful. For those who have filled, are filled with just clinging on to those things, 
call and what Jesus is doing is you need to let go. Let go. The question for us is what are, what are the things that we're clinging on to? What are the things that we're clinging on to, really believing and trusting that these are the things that's going to make God happy with me? These are the things that this, if I really cling on to this and if I really hope in this, God will really love me. People will really love me. People will accept me. But what Jesus is saying is, can we let go of that? And so that exercise that I did, the answer to that, actually, it doesn't really matter. Because the truth is what the Bible says is that everybody's on this side. Everybody's on the unholy side. It's just that some people think they're on that side. And it's those people who cling on to it. This is how you repent and you'll finally let go. And you say, God, I want to give my all to you. God, I, 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 I give up this idea that I'm this good person. I give up this idea that I can do my life and live my life on my own. But I really want to live my life fully to you, surrendering it to you, God. And I, I realize I deserve utterly nothing. I deserve nothing from you. If anything, I deserve the total opposite. I deserve your wrath and anger. But here you are. Jesus Christ comes and he shares the gospel and it becomes beautiful news. I hope we can hear this, everybody. I hope you can hear that. That is the person that Jesus calls. Not the most holy of people. No. He calls the most unholy of people. Those who are completely dependent upon him. Those who have just an utter need for Jesus. You know, when your hands are willing to receive Jesus as Lord and Savior, then you become an instrument of grace. You become an instrument for God. You know, instead of wanting to use God, you want to be used by God. And there's a stark difference there, isn't there? Very, very stark difference. You know, we can, you can hear passages like this, and you can think now, like, okay, I'm going to, you know, this is just the way that our heart is. It's very deceptive. If because I, I see that's the way that God works, I'm going to make myself humble so that he will bless me. And this is really, this is deception of our sins and the way that we work. You know, there are passages and teachers who will actually use this passage. And what they'll say is, if you humble yourself and if you give yourself to God, God is going to bless you beyond all other means. He's going to give your business. He's going to give you all the grace that you're looking for. He's going to give your heart's desire. There are passages, pastors, who will actually preach that and use this very passage to talk about this. And in our JG, we talked about this. The word for that is called prosperity gospel. And that is absolutely false. That message can sound really good and appealing, especially in our moment of weakness especially when we're going, our family's going through a really hard time and we're thinking, God, like, if, if, I, if I am humble, then God, you will bless me with all this fish just as you do in this passage. But that is not what this passage is talking about. It is far from the truth. God is going to use you not to further your glory, but to further his glory. You know, Peter, uh, Jesus did not come to bless Peter's business, actually. If anything, Jesus wanted Peter to leave his business, to leave everything behind to leave his nets behind, to use his tools where he thought he would build security, to build his identity, to provide for his family. Jesus actually says to leave that all behind. Leave everything. You're going to follow me. Because this is what a calling is. A calling is when you follow a person. A calling is a relationship that you have. 
And that's what Jesus really primarily came to do. And that's why this passage is so beautiful. The moment those fish were caught, Peter was caught. And that's so beautiful that Jesus did not come here to catch fish, but he came here to catch sinners so you would be in relationship with him. Because I think, you know, the, the immediate application point that we could think of is, oh, Pastor Sam wants me to be a pastor. Pastor Sam really wants me to be a missionary. He wants me to forego school and I could just follow and, you know, do ministry like everybody else. And that's not actually what I'm saying. The real question that we really want to ask here is as we, as we talk about our, our, like, what do we do with our life? It's not about what you do with your life. Actually, that's the wrong question. It's who are you living it for? That's the right question. That's the question that we really need to ask and think about. For some of us, we're living for our parents, our parents' aspirations and, our, and their dreams and their hopes. And that, you know, I understand from where our parents are coming from. Part of my role as a father, too, as I build up my son, I want to make sure he can live his life. But one of the things that I need to do as a father is let my son go and realize my son needs to live his life for the Lord. I want him to pursue God. He doesn't live for dad. He doesn't live for mom. He lives for Jesus. And whatever Jesus is going to call him to do, I place my trust in him. And so same with us. It's not about, you know, when we choose our major. I don't know if you guys ever did that before, but Google.com. Okay, enter. Uh, Easiest major, most money. Enter. Right? And you go through this, like, adventure, and you go through this journey. Ah, IT, okay, great. Ooh, VTech. Ooh, they have some BIT program. Perfect. I'm going to go to Virginia Tech. Where is Jesus in any of that? He's nowhere. Because it's not a relationship then. You see, the, a calling from God, it's not like God's going to whisper in your ear and say, engineer, <laughs> doctor. No, he, he, makes it, he makes it very clear. No, you live for me. You live for me. Whether that's going to be through whatever occupation, you're going to live for me. And when you live for Jesus, it's radically different. Your values are different. It's not about getting the next paycheck. It's not about making the most amount of money. No, when you live for Jesus and when you live for him, when you realize you're going to be fishers of men, it's very different. Your values are different. And that stands out, especially in school. And this applies to school as well. When you're a student in school living for Jesus, it's radically different. That your pursuits look totally different as everyone else pursues their their, their best grades and because they want to get into the best schools for the Christian because they've already been received by Christ. Their values are very different. And the moment when failure comes, when you get a B or a C, you react very differently because your life is not over. Because you already have salvation, you already have this, this relationship with Jesus Christ, it's totally fine. Totally fine. It's, you, you, you have this confidence and you draw this, this warmth with Christ. For those who don't have a relationship with God, they live like orphans. They live like they need to accrue and they need to prove themselves to everybody. But aren't you tired of that life? I am. I'm so tired of that life, trying to prove to people that I'm worthy, worthy, worthy. But when finally, when God tells me, Sam, you are worthy because, because I put my worth in you in Christ, I've been freed of that. All this comparing that I used to do, all these things where I was so jealous of people and like I would feel so, like when there, when there was somebody that I thought was better than me in whatever category, I would feel like so insecure and small. 
I know many of us feel that. And I would like hate myself and I would go through this like, like thing and I would like badmouth this person. There's just a variety of things that I would do. But when Jesus became my worth, I was freed of that. And I enjoyed that person. I got to enjoy that person and have a relationship with that person. Didn't see them as a threat. Didn't see them actually didn't look down on them and use them as a stepping stool to better myself. I saw that person as a friend. And it changed. I really wish that that's something that we can experience here in our, in our JG culture, all-stars culture, that we stop cutting people down or we start lifting people up so, like very, very uh, like dangerously. But rather, really, what's really, what we really need here is when you realize you're living for Jesus, it becomes a very different kind of relationship and you relate with people very, very differently. Don't you want that? When you receive that call of Jesus, that's what happens. When, you're, when the gospel becomes real, your values changes. It's not just about making the most money, but really wanting to be used by God. And you're just so desperate. And the more you're used by God, it's going to, uh, it's going to do amazing work. Um, the reason why I can't, we, should, we actually can't have all of you become pastors. If every one of you became pastors, <laughs> first of all, who's going to listen to one, right? It's good, like we're all pastors. And, and so the world, we're, it's gonna fall, we're going to be like a cult. We're going to be like these just, this very exclusive group of people. No, we actually need doctors and engineers. We need every range of occupation and, and whatever because when, that's where gospel will be spread. We, the gospel can't just be like this little country that we make of our own, a little town that we make of our own. It needs to spread. You are a salt and light in the schools that you're a part of. There's a specific reason why you're part of your schools right now. There's a specific reason why you have the circle of friends in your schools right now. There's a reason for that. The author of life placed you there for a reason. I'm not there. Pastor Sam is not there. Because if I showed up in your schools, I think the police will come. Tall Asian guy in our schools. We've got to drag him out. You are there. And God specifically placed you there be the salt and light of the word. Tim Keller says this, there are some needs only you can see. There are some hands only you can hold. There are some people only you can reach. So beautiful. That's why when you're in a relationship with God, your values changes. I hope we can really reflect on that and receive that. Ultimately, what our church, uh, what we need, uh, what this pastor is talking about, Jesus is inviting them into a discipleship relationship. He's going, he's saying, I'm going to disciple you. I'm going to mold you into the person that you're going to be. When you, are in, when you have Jesus in your life, Jesus will mold you more and more. And it's not just like a magic pill that you take and the next day you all of a sudden see change. It's a lifetime. It's a lifetime of work. And so when you walk with God, when you do this walk with him, he's going to change you day by day by day. And a lot of that growth is going to be painful. It's going to be hurtful. It's going to, you're, you're going to have to address a lot of things that happened to you in the past. But in those moments when God's hand, you're in the hands of God, you're going to be molded into, into such great beauty. You know, my ring is, uh, someone reminded me the other day, like this, I, I met a person and he memorized like every one of my sermons. But like he, we, uh, this ring is made out of white gold. Um, before the, this ring looked like this, I don't know if you guys know, but it was just a clump of rocks, right? It was just a clump of metal. But the way that the ring gets to be shaped like this is when that clump of metal gets put under a tremendous amount of fire, 
and then tremendous amount of pressure by, by hammers, and, and it's beautifully shaped into something like this, a ring. Many of us are clumps of metal, rock. And as you're pressed into the fire, into the hands of God, as you go through suffering, as you go through these trials of life in the hands of God, he's going to mold you and shape you and to be the most beautiful thing, his creation, his image bearer. That is what Jesus is inviting us into. And that process, and I really don't want to, I, I don't want to uh, misspeak on, on this one, that doesn't mean that life gets easier. Some, for some reason, people think, if I follow Jesus, my life becomes easier. And the answer is no. Your life may become even harder. But the beauty of it is that God is with you in that moment. God is with you. You're, not a, you're never be alone. But that God will always be with you. And so this is what we really need here in our church and for all of us. We need discipleship. Discipleship can be a very scary, daunting word. Like, what is discipleship? What is that? Here's what discipleship is. It's learning how to go from here to here. That's all it is. That is discipleship. Learning how to let things go. Learning how to repent. Learning how to stop clinging onto the things that we shouldn't be clinging onto and start to learn how to cling onto Jesus. That is discipleship. Whether it be through prayer, learning how to pray, learning how to read the Bible, that is what discipleship is. Where someone can actually call you out, you're clinging on to something that you shouldn't be clinging on to. And I say this to you, not out to judge you, but to love you, because this is harming you. And I want to show you what it looks like to live with Jesus and to live as, as Lord and Savior in your life. That is, a, that is what discipleship is. And when you're, and when you're and, and, and it doesn't have to always be an older person. When your friend group, when you make that a priority within your friend group, within your church friend group, within your, as your small groups, when you make that a priority, it becomes a very beautiful thing. You begin to see your life transform. You get to see your friend's life transform. You get to see things transform when you change your life from here to here. But most relationships at church, and I want to be very honest about this, most relationships with our church is actually learning how to do this better. Here's what you need to do to have, uh, here's the certain classes you need to take. And that's what we do as, you know, as students because we want to pass information with each other. And we're actually teach, we're discipling actually how to live this life. And that's what's so sad. And maybe I do that too. The certain comments I make, I tell you guys how to live this life. My heart is I want to show you how to live this life. A life that's really for Christ and for God and, and, and just in surrender to him. You know, discipleship gets a bad rap like, oh, Christianity. Christianity is all about brainwashing people. Oh, blah, 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 blah. We can make this matter straight here. Um, sure, church is brainwashing people. So is the world. Can we agree to that? The only reason why you don't think the world is brainwashing you is because they're doing a way better job in the, the TV shows that we watch, in the books that we read, in the TikTok videos that we see, they're doing a much better job because of entertainment, because they just do, do it in subtle ways. So let's just call it, everyone disciples something. It's just, are you being discipled by Christ? Are you being discipled by the word? That, that is what we as a ministry should really long for, learning how to let go and really to let, to really just trust the Lord and surrender to him that he, we would just receive his grace and receive and realize that I am the most far from his grace. And the, most, the, the more far you believe yourself you're to be, God will draw near to you. God will draw near. 
Uh, Peter is an incredibly an ordinary person. When you look at his life and when you look at his person, he's incredibly an ordinary person. He's a fisherman. Even the fact that when he came before the Jewish leaders, they're like, this guy's a fisherman. What does he know? Sometimes we think God only uses extraordinary people. God uses unlikely, ordinary people. Ordinary people like you and me. And the more ordinary people our relationship with God, it's God who reveals himself to the rest of the world. You know, if you're too smart, you know, if you're a very, very intelligent person, and, you, and one, that's one of the struggles. When you're so intelligent and you start sharing things, they credit you. Oh, you must be so amazing. You must be so good. But when it's someone who is utterly uh, ordinary, a carpenter, uh, a fisherman who reveals the things of God, they, they start to question, what's behind you? What is it that, who is it, what, where did you hear this from? Where are these things? I think in our life today, we're all trying to be extraordinary. We live in a culture, we live in a time where it's only the extraordinary people who get the most amount of attention, who get the most amount of likes, who get the most amount of followers. But maybe the point is being ordinary because then the extraordinary God can reveal himself through every one of us. Isn't that beautiful? And that's ultimately what God is here for. Let me pray. God, we thank you for sharing us the word. God, we, we pray that we will be humble before you, that it's those who realize, God, I do not deserve to be in your presence. God, I do not deserve to eat with you. And Lord, you are the one who comes to those people and you invite us to eat, to invite to eat the bread of life and the, and, and the water of life. And so Lord, we pray, may we have a, a heart that realizes that God, we do not deserve anything from you. You owe us nothing. And Lord, in that heart, you give to us the best news that anyone could ever hear. To those who can continue to cling on to things, thinking that these things give them worth, God, we pray that they would repent. Lord, you don't just mark them and you've given up on them, but Lord, you continue to share the gospel to them, to let go of those things, to let go of the things that we find such worth that we really would have empty hands to receive the grace of God. And so, Lord, we pray, may we be a ministry that invites, that really embraces those who are the most far, so that, God, you would draw near. And, Lord, may that shape, may this gospel shape our relationships, may it shape our community, Lord, may it shape our, our, our friendships, Lord, where we invite you more into our lives, that we'll be discipled, by Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. May we all rise and stand as we respond in worship to God.